we are going to be um, starting a new series that I want to talk about today, starting, starting this Sunday. You know, what's in three weeks from today? Easter, the resurrection. You know, three weeks till Easter. Easter is the celebration of Christ's resurrection. And we need to understand something. Easter is the centerpiece of our Christian faith. Without Easter, we don't have a, we don't have a church. Without Easter, if Jesus just stayed in the grave, uh, we would be sitting here doing something else, but we wouldn't be worshiping him uh, because he would never rose from the dead. You know, because Jesus is alive, we can have real life in Christ. You know, if we think about it, what we celebrate during this season is the reality, the Easter season is the reality, that the power of God is greater than the power of death and evil. That's what Easter is all about. Celebrating the fact that the power of God is greater than the power of death and evil. They could not hold Jesus down. We celebrate that death could not, could not hold Jesus, and that by the power of the Spirit of God, Jesus rose from the dead to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to think about Easter differently from, this, from now on. These four weeks we're going to talk about Easter and power. I want you to think about Easter differently. Oftentimes we think of Easter, we think of Easter eggs, we think of Easter bunnies. I think about peeps and jelly beans. Those are the two things. Suzanne went to the store the other day, she got so sick of me asking her for jelly beans, because they were always gone, that she literally went and bought a pile of peeps and jelly beans, and she did what you're supposed to do with peeps. She broke all the little packages for me to let them get stale. She put them all, stacked them in the, in the cupboard for me, and I'm like, how fat do you want me to get? She's like, well, I'm, I'm tired of you asking for them. But the jelly beans are all gone, I understand. But um, that's not what Easter's about. From now on, I don't want me, I don't want you to think of Easter as jelly beans and peeps. I want us to understand, I want to think of Easter, I want you to think of one word. I want you to think of the word power. That's the word I want you to think about from now on. Easter equals power, because that's really the heart and soul of the gospel. Easter equals power. Easter does not equal peeps. Easter equals power. And for these four Sundays leading up to and including Easter, we are going to focus on this power. We're going to look at living in the power of the resurrection. So we're going to, we're going to engross ourselves in that. We're going to embrace the reality of one key verse. Matter of fact, I hope by the end this key verse is just emblazoned on our hearts. And it's from Romans 8, verse 11. It says this, It says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. I want us to get that reality in our lives. Romans 8, 11, that the spirit of him who did what? The power to raise Jesus from the dead, that same spirit dwells in you. We used to sing a song about that. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You guys remember that song? Okay. Who's not old enough to remember that song? Oh boy, yeah. It was a good one. I love the old, the old choruses because they basically just sang scripture. And that's what, that's what that song did, it just sang scripture. Friends, I want this, this verse to be emblazoned on our hearts, that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Resurrection power dwells in the child of God. Sometimes you feel powerless. Easter is reminding you of something different. Easter is reminding you about the truth. And the truth is that the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in the life of the believer. We are to be empowered by the Spirit of God to live out the life that God has called each of us to. 
the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Now let me explain what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, and then we'll start talking about this week. In four weeks we're going to look at these four topics. Today we're going to talk about the source of power, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday we're going to talk about the demonstration of power, the fruit and the gifts in operation in your life. Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about praying with power. And we're going to talk about primarily the function of praying in the Spirit. Spirit-empowered prayer. And then on Easter, we're going to talk about being transformed by power. The life-changing, bondage-breaking kind of power. We're going to look at how the disciples went from hiding before the resurrection to preaching in public and putting their lives in a line after the resurrection. That there was something that happened, that resurrection power, that made them brand new, different kind of people. You see, friends, I want you to understand something as we think of Easter equals power. And it's this, that it's God's plan for His church to be a powerhouse of Holy Spirit activity and reality. If you want to know what God's plan is related to power, that's it. It's His plan that His church would be a powerhouse of Holy Spirit activity and reality. That the norm is when somebody goes to the doctor, they're laying on the table, they started the drip, they've done the blood tests, they do another one, they say, I don't get it, but your function of your liver is, pr- is proper today. Almost every week we start off talking about some miraculous thing God has done in the lives of the people of this church. Isn't that true? Have you noticed? You didn't know it was a plan, did you? It's to build your faith. Almost every week I can tell a dramatic illustration of the power of God demonstrated in the life of His people. It's God's plan for His church to be the powerhouse of Holy Spirit activity and reality. That's God's plan for Portview Church. It's His plan for this church in this day, in 2011, to be a place of the demonstration of the activity and the reality of Holy Spirit power. And that's what we're going to spend four weeks talking about, the fact that Easter means power, living in the power of the resurrection. Friends, you know what? If we think that all church is, and a lot of people think this, that all church is is a nice place, maybe with a nice building, with nice people, who believe nice teachings and do nice things, then we don't really need the Holy Spirit's power operating in our lives. You really don't. If that's all we think church is, then we don't really need a whole lot of power because we know we can raise money, build buildings, teach teachings, and become nice. And because we have examples all around our community of social organizations who do exactly that. We know we don't need a lot of Holy Spirit power to do that. But if we believe that God has saved us so that He can work through us to rescue people who are bound by sin, and according to Scriptures, headed for an eternity of hell, that if we believe that we exist to see people set free from spiritual strongholds, that God has called us to be agents of of establishing His kingdom in our community, pushing back the kingdom of darkness, if we believe that God has called us to make disciples and to see people healed and delivered, then friends, guess what? We need spiritual power. Because those things can't be done just by human effort. Those are only done by God effort. They're only done as, as we don't work harder, but we surrender more and allow the Spirit of God to live, operate through us in the power of the resurrection. Friends, understand. Spiritual power flows through people. When? They've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to think about today. Spiritual power flows through people when they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Think about something with me. 
Think about Jesus. Think about life in general. We always talk, we talk about this kind of illustration often. That a person's last words are significant words. That when a person says something to you in their very word, they, last words, they know they're going to die. They say something of great importance and great significance. Well, Jesus' last words to his brand new baby church. Before, after he had died, rose from the grave, spent 40 days with them, was ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father. His last words to that brand new little baby church. The church that its leaders, he had spent three, little over three years walking with, teaching, talking, correcting, loving on, ministering to, ministering through. The very last words before he ascended to heaven were instructions to not begin any ministry until they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit's power. That says something to me. He didn't give them a seminar on how to structure church. He didn't give them a seminar on how to raise money for building programs. He didn't give them a class on how to properly teach somebody who's a new convert. He knew all those things would come, but what he did is his very last words to his church before he ascended to the right hand of the Father were, don't do anything until you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Acts today. The very first chapter. You've maybe never thought of it before, that, that Jesus' departing words to his church were about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 1. Remember, this is just before. It, starting in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it's going to talk about what he ascends into heaven, to the right hand of the Father. But here we have just moments before he ascends to heaven in Acts chapter 1. Let's look at starting in verse 4. And he says, And gathering them together. Who's he gathering together? Jesus is gathering his followers, his disciples, and those, and those, those early church um, followers of Christ. He gathers them together, and he commanded them. Look at it. In my Bible, commanded, I have underlined in red ink. I always tell you, I write in my Bible all the time. At some point in the past, I read that text, and I went, wow, commanded. He didn't just suggest. And he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John, just John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now slip down to verse 8. He says, but you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus' message, his last words, his departing message to that early church was very simple. Don't do anything. Don't go anywhere until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. He says, with the Holy Spirit. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you have received His power to do what He had called His church to do. You see, Jesus, who ministered by the power of the Holy Spirit Himself, He said that. And He operated in the world. He operated by the power of the Holy Spirit. He understood the job that He had given to that early church, which is the same job that He's given to you and me. It hasn't changed. He didn't create them just to be a social club. He hasn't created us to just be a social club. That the job that he'd given to them and to us to do couldn't be done by human talent and ability. He understood that. 
we often think we can accomplish anything through human talent and ability. And we can accomplish a lot through human talent and ability. We can build great churches through human talent and ability. But he understood what really needed to be accomplished couldn't be done by human talent and ability, that it was a supernatural work and it needed a supernatural empowerment. So he said to his followers, don't start until I give you what you need to succeed. So what did they do? They listened. It's always good to listen to Jesus, isn't it? They listened and they waited and they received what they were waiting for. Turn your Bible one page, Acts chapter 2. Tells about them waiting and what happened when they waited. They're waiting for the gift, the promise, the outpouring, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said, you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, that when the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish holiday, had come, they were all together in one place, that 120 of them that were Jesus had given instructions to wait to. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. In verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. This experience, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He uses the term, Jesus said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he says, and here they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The terms are interchangeable. They mean the same thing, the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. That experience and the resulting life change is what Jesus said his followers needed to accomplish the ministry that he had given them. You know, they already had the teaching. Here's the important thing. He didn't send them to seminary. He didn't say, guess what? I'm leaving you all alone. Get off to seminary and get a degree. And we're going to find out, wow, he's not anti that. But he didn't send them to seminary. They had the teaching. He said he knew they needed the power. They had the teaching, but now they needed the power. So friend, today let's talk about this idea of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because here's my hope. My hope for each one of us in this place today and each one who come these coming four weeks is that all of us will realize that God wants to fill us with His Spirit and we will really begin to seek the filling, the baptism, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now to explain it today, I want to talk about four things that relate to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about, first of all, the baptism in the Holy Spirit happens in the life of a believer after they are saved. There's some confusion on that at times. But it happens after they are after you are saved. Number two, that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for every Christian. Number three, that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for power. And number four, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is received by asking. We're going to end our service by allowing people to ask God for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So let's think of this number one today. The baptism in the Holy Spirit happens after one comes to Christ for salvation. Now we know something from reading the scriptures. We know that every person who comes to Jesus and receives forgiveness of sins, is the Bible would say is spiritually born again. Jesus said, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot have eternal life. He cannot see the kingdom of God. So they've been born of water and the spirit. They've had a spiritual birth by coming to Christ. That every person who has come to Jesus, that that spiritual work in the life of that person is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit's operating in the life of a person who's come to Christ. That the Spirit is the one who convicted them of sin. The Spirit is the one who revealed Jesus to them so they could understand who Jesus is. The Spirit is the one who gave them new spiritual life. He he regenerated them um, as they accepted Christ. It says the spiritual life came into them. The Spirit did the work inside their spirit. The Spirit is working in them. They know and have experienced the reality of the Holy Spirit in their lives at salvation. Correct? Correct. Correct? They have the Holy Spirit. Anybody who says to somebody that's a Christian, do you have the Holy Spirit or you don't have the Holy Spirit, doesn't understand the Bible. The Apostle Paul is very clear in Romans chapter 8. Don't say you're a Christian if you don't have the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. That every person, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that we call salvation is an activity of the Holy Spirit. But here's what you need to understand today. Understand this. So did that group of people who Jesus told to go and wait for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They were regenerated. They knew Him. They had the Holy Spirit's activity. They had given their lives to Christ, were in the terms of the New Testament, born again. But Jesus knew that they needed more. Friends, that's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. It's more. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is an additional work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person who has already been born again, who's already been saved. And let's see this from the Scriptures. It was really clear. There's all kinds of stories, but let's look at just two stories that we're going to read first of all, and then we're going to draw some truth out of them. Turn first of all to Acts chapter 8. We're going to stay in the book of Acts primarily today because Acts is the history book of the New Testament church developing, and it just tells us what happened in the church. Acts chapter 8, in starting in verse 4, is the story of a guy named Philip who goes to Samaria, and Samaria is the, the hated enemies of the, Jew, of the Jewish people. Remember, Philip is a Jewish man, and Jesus was a Jew, and, and they, they receive Christ, they understand He's the real Messiah, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, now they're going to take this message, but they don't know who, they think they're supposed to take the message just to the people of Israel. But then, it begin to spread out. And Philip goes to the people of Samaria, he preaches the gospel to them, the demonstration of the power of God is there, and we find out that a bunch of them give their lives to Christ, and they're baptized, they're converted. But come into that story with me down to verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. They sent in the big guns. They said, man, these people in Samaria have got saved. They've received the word of God from Philip the Evangelist, and they bring in their big guns, Peter and John, they send them there. Who came down and prayed for them. It's interesting. Prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he, it's capital H there, meaning the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Look at the order there. They came down, they had known the Lord, but then verse 16, or 15, they prayed they might receive the Spirit. For, because he had not yet fallen upon any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, are you a follower of Christ? Amen. Absolutely. Has the Holy Spirit done a work of regeneration in your life? Yes, you've been, you're saved. They, you're in the family of God. The Holy Spirit is working inside of your life because it's a spiritual work, not a, not, a, not a human work. But it says, then they laid their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now turn to, further in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 19. 
I was reading two stories that simply say the same thing for a reason, to show you what the scriptures say about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, starting in the first verse. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, the Apostle Paul, passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus, which is a city, and he found some disciples. What's a disciple? Follower of Christ. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, They were baptized in the baptism of John. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who is coming after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak with other tongues and prophesying, and they were, were all about twelve men. Now those two stories, what do we see? This is what we see. We see people who came to know Jesus. They were saved. They had the work of the Holy Spirit operating in their life, because otherwise you cannot come to Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can do that work in your life. And then, at a later time, they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptism came after their salvation experience. So the Apostle Paul could ask them an honest question and could say this, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now obviously he wasn't asking if the Holy Spirit was involved in their salvation, because the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote Romans chapter 8 and told us that the Holy Spirit is the one involved in your salvation. Because he knew the Holy Spirit is the one who does the saving work. He was asking, have you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit since you have been saved? The early church in Jerusalem had heard that people in Samaria had got saved and they sent down the big guns. The apostles would go down and say, you've been saved, but have you received the Holy Spirit? It was that important to them. And they prayed for them and received the Holy Spirit. Friends, just like in these examples, baptism in the Holy Spirit is received after salvation. So that, that point makes sense? Yes? Point number two. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, this experience that they experienced, is for all Christians. You know, I think the reason that the book of Acts gives multiple stories of people being baptized in the Holy Spirit is to show that all Christians can receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Had Scripture only recorded this occurrence happening in the disciples' lives of the day of Pentecost, maybe it would happen all over, but they only, if Scripture would have only recorded it happening in the lives of those believers on the day of Pentecost, I think that the church world, through history, would have said that it was something for just a special few, just for those early super saints that they really needed it because they're going to take the gospel around the world. But you know what we find in the scriptures? We find that the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We find the disciples' friends, 120 in all, were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We find that the Samaritan believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We find that Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church who becomes the great apostle, was baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see that a group of men in Ephesus that we just read about, and I understand what I'm going to say when I say this, I don't mean to be negative towards them, but a group of nobodies. Because we don't even know their names. It says the names of the people, Apollos was doing this and Paul was doing that, and then it just meets 12 guys and a bunch of disciples. And it says they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, God knows what He's doing. 
He's trying to communicate to you something that, you know what? I'm kind of a no-name guy, and most of us are no-name people. In the annals of church history, no one might remember our names, but God still baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. It's for all people. All receive that list. All receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Listen to what what Peter has to say about this during his first sermon after being baptized personally himself in the Holy Spirit. Turn back to Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 37. You understand what's happening here. They've waited, like Jesus told them. They've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They begin to, as a result, pray in in the Spirit, pray in in tongues. They run out in the streets. Everybody thinks they're drunk. They say, well, a bunch of crazy people. They're all drunk. Peter stands up, preaches a sermon, and says, they're not drunk. This is the promise of the Lord, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he preaches a message about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And look what he says here, what happens here starting in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. It says that when they heard this, that's the crowd that was standing around, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And Peter said, and, and said to Peter rather, and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me just point out something here, friends. We're going to have a water baptism meeting after church today. I really believe there's a tie between water baptism and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I think the scripture points it out here. That obedience to water baptism is tied to baptism in the Holy Spirit. Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So that's salvation. And, for some reason in my Bible, the and has got a red underline under two. And, something additional, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 39, here's the, here's the verse to think about right now, what we're talking about for everybody. For this promise is for you. Peter's, he's talking to this congregation that's just seen this happen. They've recognized the outpouring of God. He said, this promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. What's he saying? He says, listen, friends, it's for all Christians. He says, it's for as many as the Lord will call to himself. You know who that is? That's you and me. As many as the Lord will call to himself. How does he call us? By the Spirit. The only way you come to understand you need Jesus in your life is by an act of the Holy Spirit. He calls you to himself. He said the Holy Spirit's available to everybody that God calls. Church, this is what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is all about. There's a term we, that theologians throw around, they call this, they call it the democratization of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's a really interesting word for us to understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in those terms because we live in America and we live in a democracy. Matter of fact, if you watch the news and you watch what's going on in the Middle East, everybody's saying we want to have democracies. What's a democracy? A democracy is simply a rule that is by the people, for the people. It's for all the people. It's not just a rule for a select few. It's a rule and and, and blessing for all the people. And on this day of Pentecost, it was called the democratization of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament before this day, the Holy Spirit only came upon a few select people as God desired. 
God wanted to do something great, so the Spirit would come upon Moses. God wanted to do something great, so the Spirit would come upon Saul. God wanted to do something great, so the Spirit would come upon David. The Spirit would come upon select people to do the work of God. But now, since the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost, on that early church, God pours His Spirit upon all believers. Look at Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. This is part of his sermon. Right before we just looked at that. Look at Acts 2, starting in verse 17. He's in the midst of preaching what they've just witnessed. They've witnessed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No one gets what it is. And look how he begins. He begins to quote the prophet Joel. Look what he says here in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 17. It says, And it shall be in the last days. And you know what, friends? You're in the last days. The last days is a season of time in the church calendar between Christ's coming the first time and when Christ will return again. That's the area of time called the last days. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. He's saying, listen, this is for all people. These are the last days and God is pouring the spirit upon all mankind. He says, young, old, men, women, he's pouring his upon all mankind, all Christians who desire the Spirit's fullness can receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's pretty clear from the text, isn't it? Amen? Amen. Amen. So number one, the, the Spirit, the baptism comes after salvation. Number two, it's for everyone. And now let's think about number three. Why is it necessary? It's necessary because the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for power. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today because as we look at the next three weeks, we're going to spend two weeks that kind of talk about this one topic. But I do at least want us to remember the, verse, the words we read earlier when we talked about Jesus saying, don't leave Jerusalem without it. And he said this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall receive power, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I want you to think about something today. Do you feel like you lack spiritual power? I'm not asking you to tell anybody else. I'm asking you to think about yourself. Do you feel like you lack spiritual power? Are you having a hard time overcoming sin? Do you seem to feel very powerless in reaching out to others for Christ? Ask yourself those questions. Understand, church, on your own, by your ability, by your intelligence, by your wisdom, you can only do little or nothing spiritually. That's why you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It allows for the power of God to more freely operate in and through you. The Apostle Paul is a pretty smart guy, right? He had great abilities. You read his, he wrote you know, half the New Testament. We see his brilliance. He found this truth to be true, that the Holy Spirit brought power. He was the man who in church history has probably had the most far-reaching and impacting ministry of any other Christian ever as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he understood that everything he did needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit or it would fail. Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. 
It's a couple couple chapters past where you are in Acts. 1 Corinthians, very beginning, chapter 2. If anybody else said this, it might not be as impacting. But when the Apostle Paul says what we're going to read right here, it's meaningful. If you think you're smart, I want you to read the book of Romans today and look at the brilliance of the construction of that book and understand the guy who's going to write this right here wrote that. Okay? This is one smart dude. And this is what he had to say. A guy of anybody in the church history who probably could say, you know what, I just have it all figured out. I had all the right education. I got all the right giftings. It's probably the Apostle Paul. And listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, when I came to you, it's when he came to the Corinthian church, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Guess what? He would never even get accepted as a church today, as a pastor. If he came to a congregation and said, I'm going to come in weakness and in fear and in trembling, he'd never be invited as a guest speaker anywhere. But he said, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And he says, why? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. This brilliant man, gifted man, says to the church when he comes. He said, when I came to do ministry, he said, I might be smart, I might be wise, I might have all the giftings, but when it comes to ministry, to doing the kingdom work, to living a Christ-honoring life, he understood that for it to be genuine, for it to be eternity-changing, for it to be life-impacting on the lives of the people he was ministering to, it could not rest upon him wowing them with his brilliance. It had to come on them experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. He says that my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. Why? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man or all the gimmicks of man, or all the fluff of man, or all the wonderful things we can accomplish in a church by having the right activities for our kids and all the fun things and entertaining things. He said, that's not it. I don't want your faith to rest on any of that stuff, but I want it to rest on the power of God. Now understand something. He's not knocking education. That's been the mistake of the Pentecostal church for a hundred years. They go, be spirit-filled and be ignorant. I don't need no education. Baloney. Here was one of the most brilliant educated men of his day. He was educated by the best and the brightest of his day. He's one of the most talented men of of all times. Read his writings and you can see it. We're still reading his stuff thousands of years later and I still scratch my head and I go, what in the world is he trying to say? So often you gloss over, take and really read and say, look at the complexity of this man's brilliance. But yet he says, he understood that for people to be really impacted, for lives to really be changed, for people not just to join the church but to go to heaven, for people not just to come in and get cleaned up, but to be transformed on the inside, to be set free from spiritual strongholds, that that comes only through the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And he said, I don't want them to have to rest on my wisdom, 
my, my demonstration, I want them to understand that everything is in faith in this all-powerful God who changes people at the core. He understood. Friends, it's all about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think if the Apostle Paul thought that, we ought to think that. Right? It's about power. Church, our best efforts don't produce eternal results. That doesn't mean we don't work hard. We should work harder at the things of God than anybody else on the planet. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. It doesn't mean we don't get educated. Pastor Bruce is one year from getting his Ph.D., and I commend him for it because we need smart, educated people to do the work of God. It's not knocking those things. But our best efforts, our education, all those things in and of themselves, God can use them. But those in and of themselves don't produce eternal results. It's the power of the Holy Spirit of God through you and me. Our priority, friends, must be on being spirit-filled as we do what God called us to do. That's why Jesus said, don't go home, don't leave without it. Don't leave Jerusalem until you get what you need, because until you have what you got, what you, what you need, you're going to be impotent to do what I'm called you to do. You can build nice buildings, you can be nice people, you can have nice teachings, but you can't cast out devils. You can't set people free. You can't have people's lives transformed. You can't see people sitting at an operating table and saying, hey, my liver's been messed up for a year and a half and the doctor's just ready to, to plunge in the knife. And, oh, we don't have to do that right now. That's power. That comes from the Holy Spirit of God. You can't fake that. That's God. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, friends, is first for salvation. God saying amen. <laughs> first for salvation. After salvation. It's for all of us. It's for power. And finally, I want to look at this as we wrap up our time together. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is received by asking. The Apostle Paul asked the crowd of people he met, 12 men, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And they said, no. We don't even know there is such a thing, such a person as the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says there is, and he's for you. And he lays his hands upon them, and he prays for them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. They asked God, God, I want it. And God responded. Here's what I want you to understand when it comes to receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because this has been, some, what I've gone through this whole point with some of you is, you say, I agree with point one, I agree with point two, I agree with point three, but I've got a problem with point four. I've prayed with some of you in this very room who said, I've prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I've not received it. It's not that God doesn't want to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand something today. Probably the, the thing that can set you free. One short little brilliant observation. Not so brilliant. It was his idea. It wasn't the church's idea. It wasn't the disciples' idea. They didn't beg, oh, we need some more power. They would have just jumped on their horses or camels and headed off to the next town and done their work. He said, no, no, no. Wait. You need something. You need some power. It was his idea. The Father, remember Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father? The Father loves, God the Father loves, to fill his followers with his Spirit. One last verse as we close. Grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the 11th chapter. I love the fact that God included this verse in the Bible. 
a section of verses. Because for all those who say, oh, it just happens, or whatever, Jesus, get a red letter Bible? Are we reading the red right now? Jesus' teachings. What's he have to say? Luke 11, starting in verse 9. Jesus talking, he says, So I say to you, say this. Go like this, take your right hand and hold it out like this with your finger, pointer finger. Now ready? Now go like this. And I say to you. That's what God is saying. And I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? In verse 13. If you then, being evil, God knows mankind, if you then, being evil, in compared to his greatness, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the what? Holy Spirit. Say it with me. Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask Him. How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Friends, it was His idea. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. You know what? I think we understand this pretty well. The whole baptism in the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, don't start without it. It comes after salvation. It's for every Christian. It's for power. And it's received by asking. Today I want to end our service by giving you an opportunity to ask God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you say, I had an experience in the Holy Spirit years and years ago, but it's drawn cold and dry give you the opportunity to ask God to refill you with the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts. Refilling of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask what Paul asked, the Apostle Paul. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? That's what he asked. He met a group of strangers. It was so important to him. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? And they said, no. And he said, you want to? And they said, yeah. And he prayed for them, and they received. Friends, it's not something for me to do with you. It's something for you to do with your Father. Will you stand with me this morning?